Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. How do we say on our banner as we say, enjoy your forgiveness when we hear a text like this? Well, first, it's not a good idea to build a theology of the afterlife from this parable. Why do I say that? Well, as Jake made clear last week, parables are stories, stories where Jesus is being provocative, oftentimes, is being scandalous, but he's trying to make one point. He's trying to have a main point, and we can get lost in the details along the way. What is the main point of this text? The main point is not, there's the bosom of Abraham and Hades. There's heaven, there's hell. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's not what Jesus is saying in this text. Apocalyptic is in the air during Jesus' time. There is this notion that good people go to the bosom of Abraham, bad people go to the other place. Jesus is using that assumption to make his main point. For that point is not scandalous in his own time. The scandalous point that Jesus is making in his own time is that the rich are not necessarily righteous just because they have a lot. The poor are not necessarily unrighteous because they have so little. Do you remember the other text in Scripture when the disciples stumble upon a blind man and they ask Jesus, who sinned, the blind man or someone in his family? And Jesus simply dismisses what they have to say. He essentially doesn't answer their question. He's, what are you talking about? Here, too, the same thing. The scandal to the hearers is that the poor man ends up in heaven. All that they've been trained to think is that if you have a lot, it's because you've deserved it. If you have little, it's because you or someone in your family sinned. And here, what Jesus is doing, the scandalous thing, is telling them, no, that's not how it works. How do we know this? Well, as we read further, and if if you read this again, and you read it very closely, you see that there are two people here mentioned, and the parable is often called the rich man and Lazarus. One of these two people is named. Now, all of us know the names of rich people. If I were to ask you to think of five wealthy men, it would probably take you no time at all. But if I were to ask you to name for me five homeless men, you'd probably have a hard time coming up with their names. In this parable, notice what you'd expect is reversed. 
The rich man is unnamed. There is no name. The poor man is named. He is Lazarus. Again, Jesus' provocative point here is the upending of that notion that because someone is wealthy, it is because they are righteous. Because someone is poor, it is because they or someone in their family is unrighteous. I could really end the sermon there, but I think I have to say a little more. I have to say more about the rich man. I have to say more about the rich man because the rich man ends up in a pretty unhappy predicament. And again, if the main point is what I've just said, what I'm about to say is not the main point, but I think it's helpful to understand this passage further. We see in this parable that the rich man ends up in Hades. And much like this would be a surprise to the audience, this would probably be an even bigger surprise for the rich man. He's essentially been in this milieu as well. I am rich because I am good. And here, when he's died, according to the story, he is in the bad place. And what does he do when he realizes he's in the bad place? His first inclination is not to repent, to say, oh, I'm so sorry, Abraham, forgive me. No, his first inclination is to do what he did in life. He orders Lazarus around. He essentially treats Lazarus like a slave. He tells Abraham, go and tell Lazarus to dip his hand in water to quench my thirst, to cool my tongue. But Abraham here will not let the rich man dehumanize Lazarus anymore. You received your good things in life. It is Lazarus' turn now. And when the rich man realizes that he is unable to simply order this homeless man who used to be outside of his gate anymore, he comes to his senses. He begs. He says, I have five brothers who are in the same position. Go and resurrect Lazarus from the dead and have him warn my five brothers so that they don't end up in this place like I am. Once again, Abraham says to the rich man, no, you're used to ordering people around. You're used to having your way. You and your brothers had Moses and the prophets. They had the law. If you were listening in our first lesson, the book of Amos, which is in the Old Testament before the coming of Christ, makes clear that you and I are our brother's keeper. You and I are called to act justly, to love mercy, to be generous. They have Moses. They have the prophets. And if I were to raise Lazarus from the dead, this homeless man, do you really think that your rich brothers would listen to him? I just said a second ago, most of us would stammer through knowing the names of five homeless people. And... Mostly, this is an indictment against me because I work in our soup kitchen every Thursday and I still don't know if I could come up with those five names. So I have an advantage on you and I don't know if I could do it. And even if one of these 
homeless men who comes every Thursday, if I were to hear that this person had died, and then suddenly there he was, at most, maybe I'd be like, oh man, like, this is heavy duty. I really should consider changing my ways. But I know me pretty well. And about two or three days from then, I'd get back into the same habits and the same routine, begin to be like, well, that guy probably wasn't dead at all. I'd go right back to what I always do. And I suspect it might be true for you as well. Hopefully not. But I suspect it might be true. What Abraham is saying here is that we have the law. We have the prophets. We know better. And yet here we are doing what we always do. And if we were to end on this text and this alone, it doesn't look good for the rich man. And maybe you're tempted, like I am, to say, oh, this is great. What this means is that the uber-rich are going to get what's coming to them. And I want to say, emphasize, that this text really is saying that we need to be generous, that we're called to be generous. But if you and I are essentially to take uh, a leisure in thinking that this text is talking to those people, well, I think we got a surprise waiting for us. Here we are in the richest country in the world, maybe the richest city in the world. You and I here are more likely to be lumped in with the rich man than with the homeless man. So according to this text, what hope is there for people like you and me? If we were to stop here, we'd all be in trouble. But that is why we don't stop there. That is why we read on to the end of the Gospels, where Luke, Matthew especially, makes clear that one who is greater than Moses, one who is greater than the prophets, is here. And one has risen from the dead, who is greater than Lazarus. Jesus Christ himself. And when you read the gospel narratives, whenever the resurrected Christ appears before someone, what happens? That person is changed. That person is refined. That person is healed. Think of Thomas. Think of Peter. Think of all the disciples who abandoned Jesus when he needed them the most. The resurrected Christ shows up and they are changed. And this is the good news of the gospel. We talk about every week that the good news of the gospel is the forgiveness of sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But that's just one part of it. The whole gospel, the good news, is that you and I are not just forgiven, but that we will be changed. We will be refined. My MO, my lack of generosity 
will be undone. The negative traits about you that you do not like will be healed. We experience the resurrected Christ in the word preached, in the body and blood partaken, and we will experience Christ the way Peter and Thomas did when he comes again in glory. And isn't this good news? All of our selfishness, all of the stuff that when we've thought about it a few days later that we're just like, oh, why do I keep doing that? It will be done away with once and for all. Rich people like you and me and the person in this parable when we encounter someone greater than Abraham, someone greater than the law, Jesus Christ himself, we will be changed. And this is the best news of all. We'll be like Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.